Sir, may I ask you a question? What's on your mind, Lieutenant? The Kobayashi Maru, sir. Are you asking me if we're playing out that scenario now? On the test, sir. Will you tell me what you did? I would really like to know. Lieutenant, you are looking at the only Starfleet cadet who ever beat the no-win scenario. How? I reprogrammed the simulation so it was possible to rescue the ship. What? He cheated. I changed the conditions of the test. Got a commendation for original thinking. I don't like to lose. Then you never faced that situation. Faced death. I don't believe in the no-win scenario. All right, let's see if I remember how to do this on the Owls AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent. Yes, I am your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, because uh, no one's heard from Evan Skilleter this week. He might still be celebrating the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets sweep of the Tampa Bay Lightning. I know you're a Winnipeg Jets fan. Evan, I'm just joshing you. Uh, And our king of hosts, self-proclaimed, Patty Jones, is somewhere in South Carolina. So it has fallen to me to see both this podcast and the Sheffield Wednesday season off to the beach, which is where we're headed for reasons we will elucidate uh, over the next 45 minutes to an hour and a half. I don't know. I didn't even bother to make an agenda for this show. And neither did my uh, first co-host, James Allen. James, what are you drinking? Hey, Jeff. Um, No, I didn't make an agenda because I got in from the pub about five minutes ago. You're on a boozy Um, do. A work work busy do yes. Uh, I've been I've been left home alone for a couple of nights, and so the the obvious thing to do was to appropriately take some work colleagues out for a bit and uh, stay out for a couple more. Um, what am I drinking? I am drinking the synopsis of Wednesday's season, uh, which is a uh, a New England IPA called Fire and Rainbows by Fifth Hammer Brewing Company. It's a, a uh, an India Pale Ale with oats and lactose, equal parts joyous and quite bitter. Also on the line in Portland, it's Mike Laroon. Mike, what are you drinking? I just threw together a nice hot tea, so that is going to get me through the next hour, and I will probably enjoy a, a nice something later on. How's the weather out there? Depending on, depending on how this goes. It is gorgeous. It is yeah, about nice uh, 50 degrees and clear right now. It's uh, fantastic. So I uh, had a rather big dinner, a couple of glasses of wine, so... It's uh, almost 10.30 over here on the East Coast. The time to settle my stomach with a very famous and somewhat infamous Italian digestif, a little bit of Fernet Branca, which tastes mostly of bitter herbs and a little bit of menthol, which seems like a good way. I assume Bielsa smokes menthols, probably. That seems on brand for him. So a good way to uh, transition into the Sheffield Wednesday Leeds game. Uh... This was sort of the last gasp of the Wednesday season. And James, it feels like they didn't exactly go out on their shield. Yeah. It, I, I was kind of struggling post-match, actually. Not, not so much during the match, but I kind of... I, I wanted to be a little bit critical of the performance because the, the easy kind of analysis would be to say that was a Wednesday team that didn't turn up for the big game. Um but in fairness, Leeds just outplayed us. They're they're a better footballing side, and they they dominated the ball. They dominated possession. Their turnover rate was brilliant. Uh, they penned us in, and they did everything that Wednesday have 
shown as their kryptonite this season at various points. So in many respects, it wasn't really that surprising a performance or that surprising a result. It just, unfortunately, it brought us all back down to earth with a, not so much with a bump, but just a bit of a reality check, really, because all, all the reasons for getting a little bit carried away in recent weeks and getting excited about our form and our results sort of just ebbed away in, in the kind of cold face of reality. And, and it it's hard when that reality is, is Leeds, you know, heading probably four games to go, let's not get too carried away, uh, towards the Premier League and starting to be heralded by all the national broadcast, broad uh, sheet papers in the UK um, as uh, as a, a welcome return to the Premier League. But, you know, it that's kind of how things go. It does beat the alternative. Yeah. <laughs> Afraid so. Um, but look, you know, Leeds are the better side. We weren't and they won and we didn't. And you can't really argue with that. Yeah, the, you know, contrary to what, Jose Mourinho likes to say the table doesn't lie and there's a reason they're 15 points ahead of Wednesday or whatever it is now. I think for me, anyway, besides being an epically frustrating game to watch on my couch on a, a lazy Saturday afternoon, it struck me as sort of the full like last gasp end of the, of the Carlos era. And I'll explain why. I know, obviously, we're on our second manager since Carlos left. But it's still a lot of the same players that were there for sort of, you know, Wembley and the and the playoff run the year after. And sort of at their best on this run, they were playing that kind of, like, free-flowing, passing, sort of midfield-dominated uh, possession game. You know, what where they always sort of fell short were those, you know, as you said, the sort of wilting in the big games was when their midfield got bossed badly. And that's sort of what happened. They never really got into the game, never really were able to establish possession. And that might because be because Bannon is, has, was rumored after the game was not really fit to play. You know, Adam reach was, you know, went off with an injury they really didn't get much down the wings, which you would expect when the wings were Marco Matias, Liam Palmer, Morgan Fox, and George Boyd. And it was pretty much one-way traffic, Mike, save for uh, the right and left hands of Kieran Westwood. Yeah, it was... Um, we were talking about the coffee club heading in because some of us listened to the team news on the radio on the way in, and I was like, you know, Fletcher, Hooper, Reach, uh, Hutchinson, and Bannon. This is, I mean, again, the, the joke was, you know, a couple of years ago, that was our injury lineup. Or I guess a year ago, that was our that was our injury injured team, but that's a quality championship lineup. And, yeah, I thought that was where we were going to go. I'm glad they, I'm glad, I was ha- so happy to see that as a lineup, but it turned out um, just everything you guys have been saying, that they, they, they just, they weren't the better team that day. Um, Kieran Westwood, um, again, he's, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's our new priority as far as, uh, getting someone back on the squad, um, for next year and shoring him up long-term because, uh, without him, this game could have been embarrassing. I mean, it's a, it's a one nil loss when you look at the, you know, as you say, the paper, the, the following morning doesn't sound like much, but if you watch that game, it, it was, it was pretty bad. Yeah, I know a couple. We all, last time I was on, however many weeks ago that was, it was significantly long ago. It feels like now. Patty and I went over the 
sort of out-of-contract players. And I was probably leaning not towards bringing back Kieran Westwood because of the the internal options, and he's you know he's getting on in years as well. But like after watching this game, it sort of reminded me like if this team has designs on sort of reloading and going for promotion next season, which I think we all think they should based on how they performed in the second half of this year, obviously FFP and whatever mysterious double secret probation they might end up on this summer will impact that. You know, there's no keeper they're going to get to replace Kieran Westwood that can do what Kieran Westwood can do. That can just win points from between the sticks. So I think, you know, regardless of anything else they do, bringing Westwood back and letting him sort of marshal the defense has to be the top priority, James. Oh, yeah, absolutely does. I mean, uh, look, I was I was vociferous about it last week, and I'm vociferous about it this week with additional evidence on the basis of some of the saves that he made in the face of that Leeds onslaught. I mean, his shot-stopping ability and his command of that defense is as good as pretty much any other keeper I've seen in the championship. And so Wednesday have two options as far as I'm concerned. You either sign him up, and you commit to him as the future of Wednesday goalkeeping for the next promotion push, which maybe is one season, two seasons long, but you you basically say we're backing him. Or you let him go, but you also accept that, you know, despite our best efforts, Cameron Dawson and Joe Wellsmith, both excellent potential goalkeepers, aren't ready to be that absolute lead number one at the top end of the championship. And so you are committing to potentially bringing in a, a lone player from the Premier League. Now, there are some good goalkeepers in the top top uh, teams in the in the EPL, um, but they have mistakes in them. And I think we've seen that, you know, um, I'll I'll cite Dean Henderson at United this season. He's he's made some amazing saves, but he's also made some absolute clangers and, and you're going to carry that through. So that's the choice that Wednesday are going to make. Um, you know, I with all due respect, and we, we had this debate at the beginning of the season, I don't think Cameron Dawson is ready to lead the team from the back. I don't think Joe Wildsmith is anywhere near ready for that because he's not had the experience this season. That's actually the fault of Wednesday for not putting him out on loan. So you sign at Westwood or you go to the loan market, and, and I would rather go with the known quantity. Yeah, I think a lot of us forgot what does that actually mean and what does it look like to see someone lead from the back. And then when uh, yeah, when, when December rolled around and he and, and West would go back in there. It was just like, oh yeah, he he is the leader. Um, so yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, the one sort of knock on him is he has been a little bit injury prone. He's getting older, uh, as I said. But you know, having Dawson and Westwood as your number two and number three keepers is you know perfectly okay. I think they, I think we're both reasonably confident they can step in for you know a month if he picks up a knock so it's not like they don't have that like that goalkeeping depth won't be useful for a team in a in a promotion push but it's it's just stark the way his like the sort of just the way the team changed once he came back into the squad and yeah there are other factors at play as well i'm sure but you can't uh you can't ignore the impact he made uh once he was back with the number one jersey I mean, the stats, there were, there were 28 shots on goal. Um, I don't know how many on target, but um, something like 28 to 30. And if you could just like do a, a freeze frame of all the times the ball was just kind of somewhere in front of 
in front of the goal without a Wednesday defender near it. It was it was shocking, um, and the fact that it was nil nil at halftime is um, we're we're quite lucky to be there. There were at least two or three that were like bang on. This is like I'm saying they're like, well, that's one nil, and he just got to them. There was the header across the box. Uh, I think there was another one near his uh, near post that he made. It's just his, and some of that is instincts some of that's his positioning is always great like you know you can knock him on the injuries his distribution is not ideal um but you know as far as like shot stopping keeper goes and like whatever they do with the back line this is sheffield wednesday they're gonna have let offs they're gonna have a mistake in them and you want that guy that can make the stop one-on-one and i don't think for my money there's a better goal uh better goalkeeper in the championship right now I don't think there is. And I, I, look, I mean, we, we can fixate on Westwood because it was his performance that kind of defined Wednesday's performance, right? Because you know, he was literally the rear guard action against the, the Leeds onslaught. I think um, what, what's kind of interesting is you take a step back and you look at the way in which they performed uh, over those 90 minutes and just how dominant they, they were. Um, and... You know, after the match, I think I, I reflected on Twitter something along the lines that they kind of they've shown us what you know what the standard looks like. You know, you, they played with a high press, they played with a high tempo, their turnover was excellent. They you know they were constantly kind of you know getting in behind Wednesday and 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 just dominating the ball, dominate chance creation um, in in a way that teams at the top of the division do. So you look at that and you say, okay, well that's what we've got to replicate. Um, a few people said, well, you know, that's the exception. They've brought in Bielsa, you know, he's not a championship level manager. They've got, you know, they've got a standard and a capability that's way in excess of this league. But the interesting thing is the vast majority of those players are the same players we played 12 months ago. You know, the majority of the lead side that we beat at Ellen Road last year when you know, who scored the old, the winner, you know, in the snow is the same team that absolutely bossed us uh, on Saturday. So I think actually the question for Wednesday is, you know, are we making the smart choices? Are we are we are we able to get the very very best out of the playing staff we have? And we've seen glimmers of that in the last few months, where Steve Bruce and his coaching team have, have you know changed players like Liam Palmer way for the better. Um, we've just got to give the time for that that project to continue its pace. And you know maybe Liam Palmer and, and Morgan Fox are in the in the side next year, but they have to play differently. We have to have higher expectations of the way in which they'll press the opposition and the way they'll convert the ball and the way in which we'll we'll move the ball you know upfield faster than we have done in the last few seasons. Well, I think you've seen the type of player that Bruce wants with the Iorfa signing and the Newcastle players he brought on loan. And you know, when all three of them were healthy for the hot 15 minutes that happened, um, it really was a different uh, style of, of football. You know, the sort of the pace and power that Iorfa brings, you know, is a, a true sort of like two way fullback and, you know, Lazar's ability to break up play, but also join in the attack. It's, you know, it, it was a very attractive brand of football as well, which was nice to see. Now, can we secure those players long term? Can we bring in similar players uh, to fill out the roster and work with whatever system Bruce wants? Who knows? Um, I did like, did you see the a mic that Sheffield Wednesday had scouts at the, uh, uh, what was it? The, was it the Benefit? Yeah. yeah, the was it Benefica they, Einf- Eintracht or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Frankie was like they listed like all the big clubs in Europe had scouts there and also Sheffield Wednesday. Great. 
which again, this this whole night. Well, again, I'll defer to our FFP expert, but I, yeah, it's all a mystery at this point. You're saying they're not going to be able to afford uh, Zhao Felix? <laughs> I think they can. I but I don't know how. I think Chancery can. Yeah, Chancery can find the money right. probably, but. As I've said many times on this subject, there's a massive difference between afford and allowed to, right? We can yes. afford Jao Felix, of course yeah. we can. Um, we're not allowed to spend that money um, unless we release capital from somewhere else. You know, it, it's. I, I think what's, what's fascinating, and it, it's more fascinating now than it was 12 months ago, is I have confidence based on, you know, this is kind of my reflection at the top of the show that, you know, all that optimism kind of faded away a little bit on Saturday as, as we saw the stark reality of Wednesday versus Leeds and, and, correct a Wednesday side shorn of kind of you know some of those sparks of, of creativity that, that were brought in in January but um, I have confidence in this management team I have confidence that they will make the shrewd choices that are required the hard choices that are required in order to change this playing squad you know um, I you know I strongly believe in, in keeping Kieran Westwood there are many other players who I don't believe in keeping and and I look forward to this this squad being rotated right I mean you said it earlier on, Jeff. You know, kind of the last vestiges of the Carlos era. Well, what's true is that the 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 squad that Carlos built, or that Chancery built in, kind of version one of Sheffield Wednesday under Carlos, isn't the squad that's going to get us promoted. That style of football is not going to get us promoted. Um, Steve Bruce doesn't believe in that style of football. And he believes in a different style, and and we have to give it time. And this summer, and I don't think any of us know what the composition of the squad is going to look like come August. Um, which is actually quite exciting, you know. Once you get past the kind of this, you know, squeak of hope about promotion this season, which you know now I think we can say is extinguished, we can start to focus on the fact that there's a journey ahead of us, and next season could actually be a whole lot of fun, you know, with a different playing squad and with a different style of football. But you know, plenty of reasons for optimism as to why we should be up at the sharp end of the division, even with the complications of PNS that we have to navigate over the next few months. I hesitate to. Uh encourage anyone to think of Wednesday as a fun experience <laughs> that, that may have a lot to do with the uh, the various uh, craft beers that I've drunk this evening Jeff mm. but you know I'm, I'm, I'm trying to project a, a reason for optimism so let's try and carry it a little bit beyond just the middle of April I mean we'll talk ourselves back into it by our season preview show in August I feel like even if they haven't made a single move because we kind of did this year, too. I still have to go back and actually listen to that to see what we all predicted. But as I recall, we had the team from, like, 8th to 11th, which is about where they're going to finish. Yep. Could be worse. Could be a Stoke fan. I mean, we all predicted them to win the league, so... I think we did, yeah. And who had Norwich City up there as number one? I don't know. I haven't listened to the segment yet, James, <laughs> since we recorded it almost a year ago. I will let you know in a couple of weeks. I'm um, going to go out on a limb, Jeff, and say none of us. I mean, it could be worse. You could be a Middlesbrough fan. Or apparently, based on this week, you could be the Middlesbrough owner who's in a very bad mood. Do you want us to comment on that now, Jeff, or should we wait until the Wednesday news? I mean, it's not really Wednesday news, is it? <laughs> This is a new segment. This what is a, what EFL a news. League. <laughs> EFL news and right. gossip. So what we'll do is we'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll cover Wednesday and other EFL news. Uh, if you're playing along at home, the final score this week was Leeds one, yeah, Wednesday zero. But um, I didn't say that, nor did I introduce the show, really. So yeah, it's true. So, so they don't have an agenda. 
So we'll see what happens next. As first reported on Owls America, Sheffield Wednesday opinion with an American accent, the Middlesbrough owner is having a bad week, James. Would you like to comment on that? I would say that Steve Gibson is a sore loser. Um, look, every owner in the EFL, to an extent, gambles, right? They gambles mm-hmm. on putting their own personal money in place or you know the, the money that's invested in the club on the bet of making the Premier League and gaining the riches that are associated with that. And and Steve Gibson, unlike you know, uh, no other owner, made those bets and he invested in the Middlesbrough team and they got promoted and, yeah, they were shit in the Premier League, they got relegated and uh, it turns out they're not that competitive in the Championship this season. So um, he has to try and divert attention before he makes some changes to the playing squad at Middlesbrough to offset the reduction in parachute payments, the substantial parachute payments oh. that they have. And his uh, his way of diverting attention is to train his ire on those championship clubs that are trying to uh, spend their way towards promotion, which may ring a bell because it's what Middlesbrough did two three years ago. Um, yeah, it's it, uh, kind of. I'm I'm colouring my judgment for a second. Let me take a step back. Um, his behaviour is endemic with the division between the strategies being taken by different championship clubs to try and make up the gap in the Premier League. Um, what's particularly uncomfortable about the way he's approaching it is the fact that his club is one of those recipients of parachute payments in the orders of tens of millions of pounds that none of the other championship clubs have access to. Um, and to try and snipe at Sheffield Wednesday at Derby, uh, who haven't had access to that, I think is is a pretty low blow. Um, you know, we can make a different case maybe for Villa who have um, but it, it is very unsavoury, and he's trying to pit you know a bunch of EFL clubs against the others, and I, I think it's it's altogether a pretty nasty set of politics. And as uh, several people pointed on Twitter, as pointed out on Twitter, it's not like he was making a ton of money in the Premier League either. So you look at sort of like profit and loss statements. You know, once you factor, once you take out the parachute payments, he's running a larger loss than the same clubs he's pointing fingers at. Yeah, I, I don't think any team in the championship has any business pointing at any, anyone's budget and finances. I don't like seeing fans pick on, you know, I feel, I'm going to say it, I feel bad for what's going on with Birmingham City. Um, but yeah, for, for someone who's come down with parachute payments to start pointing fingers at, at some of these other clubs is just completely out of line. I mean, look, we're all sort of walking the same tightrope here. Uh, you know, one slip, it you know, it's... Only, oh, geez, now eight years ago that Wednesday almost went the way of Bolton. You know, it, it can happen. You know, we've seen it happen to Blackpool, uh, Yeovil. You know, you, it's it's a difficult game to play. It is literally gambling in a lot of cases, as James said. It's you're making this sort of investment in the front and taking the losses and hoping that you get promoted before the money runs out or the FFP comes for you. Yeah, and, and, and look, there's no secrets here, right? You know, it, what I think is most discomforting about the way that, that um, Gibson made his remarks this week, and yeah, by the way, it wasn't just Gibson, you know, he, um, whether he channeled them through his manager or his manager was a willing volunteer, I don't know, but Pulis made a whole bunch of comments in his program notes as well, which were pretty kind of consistent with this. It's, 
it's unfair for them to start accusing other clubs of doing things, you know, um, nefariously against the rules when, you know, we all know the EFL is closely scrutinising the activities of the clubs in question. You know, does anyone seriously believe that what's going on financially with Sheffield Wednesday is uh, hidden from the EFL? That's not, not the case at all. You know, whether we're on a soft embargo or whether we have to submit our accounts and then prove them, you know, to the EFL auditors. You know, if we do anything creative with our accounts, it is under the control and governance and oversight of the EFL. So to point fingers and say, look, these people are getting away with things is just sore, sore grapes. You know, um, to then convene other groups of clubs to try and point fingers collectively at others, that's, it. it it's, it's, to Mike's point, it's completely out of order when it is clubs that are in recipient of outsized investments from the Premier League. And by the way, clubs that are also subject to completely different PNS thresholds because of those parachute payments. You know, what we have to adhere to in terms of three year rolling losses is totally different to a club that's come down from the Premier League. So Middlesbrough can get stuffed as far as I'm concerned. They've, uh, they've really blocked their copybook on this one. In happier Wednesday news, some good results. For the youth teams, the under-23s got a win on the back of a Preslov-Borokov double, Mike. And I know you watch the highlights. Uh, not only watch them, I've been watching the loop on this. No, it's, it's been great. And if people, um, if people have not seen him play and you've only read that he is a striker with a strong physical presence, this is the highlight really you want to see because he's, I think they're both headers, if I'm not mistaken. But, I mean, it's just a, a pure striker role, and uh, I mean, it's fantastic. So, again, I mean, not to, not that everything's going super right now, but this is one of the, one more area for, op, for, for optimism. He, he kind of looks like a, a man among boys out there. So, looking forward to hopefully seeing him in the next year or two. Yeah, I know we haven't talked about him much this year just because, you know, he aged out from the under-18s and, you know, had to play with the reserves and, you know, a lot of injured Wednesday players from the first team have been cycled through the under-23s. And, you know, you know he's simply younger than a lot of those players as well. So he's just sort of... And he's been uh, also representing his, comp- uh, his country a fair bit. So I, there will be certainly, as long as I'm hosting, more Preslov Borokov news to come. Meanwhile, the under-18s are a point away from winning the under-18 Professional Development North title after a win over Coventry this past week. And conveniently enough, it might come at the expense of the noisy neighbors, James. Uh, indeed it may, Jeff, although I have to be completely honest and say that I have not, um, not been paying quite as much attention as I possibly should have been to, to youth football of late, so maybe you can fill us in on the gaps of that. I mean, it's, it's fairly simple. If they get at least one point against Sheffield United on Saturday, they will, uh, win the league, and, you know, short of that, they're still, uh, guaranteed a top two spot. So another uh, another very strong season. So the the I know we haven't seen as much of the sort of the blooding of young players under under Steve Bruce as we did under Yas, and the number of reasons for that. I think Bruce wanted to sort of evaluate the senior squad. I wonder if we might see more of them in the coming weeks now that the season is all but done and dusted. But I think you know that's sort of the thing that has been missing from. 
from Wednesday in recent years, and there's been strong investment uh, in the youth levels and in the academy, and you know that's something I don't. Does that, that does that even go into the profit and loss statement? That FFP uh, minded, or can we just like build a, a fortress at Middlewood Road if need be? I don't think you've been into it, Jeff, but I, I mean, I guess you touched on something we've talked about a fair bit, which is that, you know, that we know that uh, youth investment is exempt from PNS, at least in kind of the spirit of the, the regulations. So, you know, if you're going to invest in one area of a club for, for the long term, then it absolutely should be in the infrastructure that supports the academy. Um, I think Steve Bruce is on record already as saying that maybe he buys a bit more into the kind of the hoodoo of the middle road pitch the most. So, you know, why not go all out and let's build a fit for purpose Premier League ready academy for Sheffield Wednesday that nurtures the next generation of talent in the not just in the Sheffield area, not just in the South Yorkshire area. I've always had this thing that it should be like kind of the east of the Pennines area. So anywhere south of Leeds, anywhere north of Nottingham, you know, any player that's coming through should be at Sheffield Wednesday. So we we should build it and they will hopefully come prosper and uh, be even better than Preslav Borokov. And I will just point out that Jao Felix is technically under twenty three. I don't, I don't know how that works, but any, uh, any magic that you can work to annoy Middlesbrough as much as possible, I am for. So that is the Wednesday news for the week. As the season winds down to its natural conclusion, we'll keep very close eye on the league table. I still don't actually know who picked 8th, 9th, 10th, or 11th. I think there were four of us. But Wednesday, do you currently sit in 10th? I have to I'll figure out how my signing points to this. I also don't remember what we... I think we were all throwing like 50 bucks into the kitty for like a youth soccer charity or something. Again, I'll go back and listen to the episode at some point. Uh, but do we have any other business? I mean, do we want to talk about what's going on at the sharp end of the table, or should we just no, keep up hard of really. drive for at least one I more mean, game? We kind, of, we kind of have to, since next up is the yeah. Norwich City preview. If you want to work it in there. We don't have an agenda, so it's really up to you, James. <laughs> well, I think we, we've talked about Norwich extensively, and uh, eager-eared listeners will remember that uh, the Norwich is synonymous with uh, Paul Owen's masterful uh, recounting of his uh, encounter with the Swan on the Norfolk Broads. Yeah. So, I mean, I would just refer you to whatever episode number that is from last season when uh, when Paul told you about the time that he nearly uh, killed the Royal Swan. Um, and um, we could all laugh at Norwich being shit. Oh, no, they're actually quite good this year. Um, yeah. Uh, look, Good Friday against Norwich. Um, they are four games away from the Premier League and you know, in all reality what they they've probably got I think they've got a five or six point seven. lead on Leeds. It's maybe a little bit less. Four but, on Leeds, but, seven on the noisy neighbours. So they're all okay. the top. So re- were results to go in in their favour on Friday, they could be mo- promoted, mm. you know, very, very quickly. So look, it's it's an incredibly difficult game. Difficult game. Le- Norwich's home form has been uh, phenomenal uh, this season. They've uh, they've scored a remarkable number of goals. I re- read a stat the other day that they've scored more goals this season than Norwich uh, than Wolves did in the entirety of last season, which is you know quite rem- quite the achievement when you consider how free flowing Wolves football was. Um, and you know. Coming off the back of that game at Leeds and kind of, you know, the spiraling of probably the end of our hopes, uh, you'd probably back Norwich for that one. But, um, 
Yeah, stranger things happen in football, right? So, you know, maybe Wednesday surprises they came off the back of a, a bit of a disappointing result against, um, uh, gosh, who the hell did we play before we played Nor- uh, Nottingham Forest? Uh, Villa, there we go. We lost 3-1 in the last minute. Um, but we get, went into that and then we blew Forest away. So who knows? Maybe we get some kind of reaction on Friday and that's uh, that's something to celebrate. But in all reality, Norwich are going to get promoted. Wednesday probably don't get a result on Friday. And then the really interesting question becomes who gets second place. I think everything we saw this last weekend is, is probably leads, but results have to fall in their favour. Would you, uh, given the limitations of Wednesday's roster right now with injuries and whatnot, would you uh, shake things up a little bit with the lineup, Mike, or are you still uh, in evaluation mode? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think, I, again, as far as I'm concerned, we're, we're, we're not getting promoted. We're clearly not going to make the playoff spot, so let's let's go ahead and mix it up. Um, I, I think this is where Steve Bruce is strong uh, again we've talked about his ability to evaluate evaluate some of the senior talent i think we need to get some of these older players just really figure out where they where they are how bad do they want to come back and um yeah it seems like a good chance to do it yeah it's i'm it's not personal i'm just really tired of seeing george void on the left wing like any any other starting option would be fine by me. I don't really care what the rest of the line is. But he like. was pretty darn good against Forrest. That's, he was, that's a crazy thing. And he, he, shows wasn't, the he wasn't my brilliance. biggest issue at Leeds either. I thought he was okay within the limitations of his George Boydness. I mean, maybe you hope that uh, you know, you've seen maybe you get a longer look at Sam Winnell who's been sort of in and around the squad on the bench here and there the last few weeks. Kieran Lee played an hour for the under-23s. That's probably wishful thinking to see him in a Wednesday uniform before the end of the year, but who knows? Um, yeah, maybe a full 90 for Forestieri, who's been hobbled here and there as well. Oh, you know, Lazar has been on the bench. It'd be nice to see him. I wonder if they're hiding Lazar to try to sign him in the summer. Because <laughs> he's looked so good uh, in his brief uh, appearances. Might entice Newcastle to keep him or sell him to a club that can actually afford to buy players in the summer, James. Yeah, <clears throat> kind of comes back to what I said before, Jeff. I, I just don't know. I don't know what the composition of the squad's going to be in the summer. I think what I'm convinced of is going to be quite different. Um, I think I trust Steve Bruce to make some hard decisions, and I think the hard decisions will mean that more players will get let go than maybe emotion would say should be. Mm-hmm. Um, I may even have to accept that George Boyd may not get an extra contract <laughs> after his performance on Saturday. Um, and then the kind of the the really exciting part, exciting. I'm not sure that's the right word. Is is who do we sell that finances the ability to buy? Yeah. Because if we are under soft embargo, then any player that we agree to to bring into the club has to be offset by by revenues earned by selling players. So we don't bring in, you know, Lazar, for example, unless 
we we let someone else go from the squad. We we definitely don't bring in Michael Hector, as a lot of people have been talking about. You know, should we? Um, and I just I, I I wonder if Wednesday nights are ready for this. You know, Barry Van and Adam Reach, those players are right in the prime of their saleability and they're, they're, they're tough conversations to have. But would you forsake one of those two players in order to have two of the aforementioned targets or a player that we've never heard of who might fit even better into the system that Bruce wants to play next year? All I know is that I just I think don't think it's going to look the same as it yeah. does now. This goes to the point that you made earlier, which is this, and if we want to go full circle on conversations that Jeff and I had back in December with uh, the Chance Series fan forum, this is decisions we as fans do not need to make. These are the. This is why Steve Bruce is going to is going to earn his check. He's going to do something like sell Barry Bannon to a championship club in order to hang on to Michael Hector. And you know, I mean that if you you want to call that exciting and optimism, I call it you know. That's that's a tough decision, but I think that's the way we have to go. And I think that's the kind of thing that you know having an adult in the room like Steve Bruce is going to do for this club. Okay, a little bit of uh, a quick quiz. Who is the last player Wednesday have actually sold? Jack Hunt. I think it's Jack Hunt. Yeah, I think before that it might be Michael Antonio. <laughs> Well, therein therein lies the the fallacy in our strategy until now, right? Mm. Um, I mean, that's going to really change. Haven't been a selling club since Chancery came in, and you know it made. Have they? You know, we can argue if they missed the window. Should they have taken the ten million for Forestieri from Newcastle three years yes. ago now or whatever? Or, you know, it's. I'm sure there were. Bids. You know, there's obviously been a lot of. Uh, scuttlebutt about Adam Reach the last few chance for windows, but I don't think his, I think his value is probably at least as high, if not higher, than it was then. Um, but they've never sort of made that. And you always see them bring in Jordan Rowe. They've made big purchases, obviously, which is why we have uh, talked about financial fair play for the last eighteen months at this point. <laughs> um, but I've been podcasting about eighteen months. It might be eighteen months now. Um, But yeah, it is really kind of the great unknown going forward, which is both exciting and also terrifying because as Wednesday fans, you know, it can always, always be worse. On that ominous note, I guess we can wrap up the show. What I did realize um, in my time of not making an agenda is that I also... Didn't bother to pull up the Google Doc that has a little spiel I do at the end of every show, which I will now do. Uh, I mean pull up, not do the spiel. It's going to take a minute. So, James, how was your day? He had a boozy do at um, work. It was great. Oh, I was going to tell you how my day was. Fine, but um, I said you had a Jeff boozy do in, at I don't work. Need to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I had a day before that. How was your day, Mike? No, it's quite nice. Thank you very much for asking. Totally good. What episode is this? <laughs> I haven't been on in a month. What do you want from me? Uh, I'm going to guess. All right, hang on. I can do the... 60-something, Jeff. Yeah, I think it's 65. Yeah. Uh, 63 was the international break. There's a reason why we get Paddy to host this show in the future. Yeah, right? I don't think about off. that. 
This has been episode 65, probably, of the Ellis America S. Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. Email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. And find and follow us on Twitter at owlsamericas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdays, Reverend and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbeam, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. And wherever you choose to consume the Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdays find our ramblings. And speaking of ramblings, you can leave the show a voicemail on our Days in Mumbled line at 1401. 307 1867. What? Chef, we don't yeah. do that anymore. We don't? No. It's in like yeah, bold and ita- italicized on this. All right. That don't... was probably bolded. That's code for don't read this. <laughs> it's a very good system. Uh, I'm not going to edit that, so we'll just move on. Don't call that phone number. I assume no one will pick up. I mean, it was a. Well, somebody might, and they might <laughs> be confused. <laughs> Uh, James is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James, uh, make your official 2019-2020 Wednesday kit predictions because that's the only thing we have to look forward to now. Um, solid blue shirt, white sleeves, and a white collar. Away kit? Uh, obviously... It's finally time to return to the uh, the gold shirt with the uh, the sky blue trim. Excellent choice. Mike is on Twitter at Mike Laroon. Mike, your kit predictions. Let's go with horizontal blue and white stripes. Oh Jesus! Just to really make people sad. I mean, that is technically the original kit, right? Something like that. Here's Can you imagine the those fans? Oh, wow. And away kit? Diagonal. Di- so like the sash diagonal or just like diagonal? Yeah, right? di- sash. Yeah. So yeah, like the, sash, the, uh, the, big, the big... Yeah. Like sort Blue of like sash right around, across yeah. the chest. Nice. Yeah. That would actually be cool. I don't think I've ever done that before. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. I will go with the classic blue and white stripes to go all the way around, so not a blue back this time. Um black collar, full collar, not the little buttony thing. Oh, that's nice. And for the away kit, I think I'm going to go with uh, solid yellow uh, blue trim on the sleeves, blue collar, V-neck. So sort of a riff on the, I think it's the 88 one. And we'll see you back here with probably more kit predictions and perhaps a Norwich City recap next week.